welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. Today we're going to be talking about something that impacts a lot of growers. We get questions about growing good quality hay and getting tonnage, getting quality, those types of things. It is important. There's no doubt about it. And we're going to talk about some of the things you can do to ensure better quantity and quality of the hay that you're trying to grow. Many of these tips will come down to fertility and in-crop management, and those things can be utilized with any crop that you're raising. So it's important as you understand how to how to deal with your soils to get the most production. Uh, that It doesn't really matter what crop you're raising, whether it's hay or something else, or a cash crop uh, or a commodity crop like corn or soybeans, for example. Knowing what's going on in the soil is really critical. So next week, we've got the Ag PhD Soils Clinic coming up on the 16th. And I would encourage you, check that out. If you can make it to Baltic, South Dakota for our meeting, it'll be nice and cold. It's a little bit white out. If you want to visit someplace that's had a little bit of snow, this would be a great opportunity to do so because uh, it's not going to get warm between now and then. So the snow will still be here, I'm sure. Um, but all joking aside, if you can come to uh, that meeting in person, that's the absolute best thing because there's going to be agronomists there. There's going to be other farmers there that are real passionate about their soils. You'll learn so much. It will absolutely change the way you farm. If you're not reading your own soil test, making your own fertility recs, this could be an absolute game changer for you. Even if you say, you know what, I've got a great agronomist or fertility expert that makes my reps, this will make your conversations with that person so much more valuable. Uh, so I can't stress it enough. Our soils clinic is really critical. It's free. We don't charge anything. We just do these meetings to say thank you for all the support that we've gotten for Ag PhD over the years. So there's no sponsors. There's no companies that are pushing an agenda or a product or anything like that. It's farmers talking to farmers about, hey, here's how you do it. Here's the differences that you're going to see. We'll use a lot of examples from our own farm. Here's what we put on for fertility and when. Here's the impact it had on the soil. And here's the impact it had on yield. It's it's just absolutely a great workshop. It's my favorite one that we do. Also, if you say, no, nah, I can't make it up to South Dakota. I'm 500 miles away. Or uh, I'm sunning myself down in Florida, but I could tune in if it was online. You're in luck. Uh, there is a live stream option available too. You can check those details out at agphd.com. Uh, and you can pre-register if you're coming to the workshop or if you want to get on the live stream list. Uh, anyway, that one's going to be great. The very next day on the 17th, we've got a corn workshop. And so we'll take a lot of that knowledge that you just learned on fertility. We'll put it right into play. And I've, I've got a question coming up later about, okay, I want to raise this particular yield goal in corn. What exactly should I do? We'll go through just those kinds of scenarios, plus everything from picking seed to how you drop it in the ground, uh, how you set up populations, uh, all these things, all the way through the management in season to when do you harvest that corn and so you can make the most money. That's all coming up at the Ag PhD Corn Workshop. That's on January 17th. So would love to see you at those meetings. Uh, and if not, would love to have you join us online. And you can sure send us questions as those meetings are going on. You can send questions to us here on the radio, radio at agphd.com anytime you'd like. Or 
Most days, uh, you can give us a call uh, between 2 and 3 p.m. Central at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'd love to chat with you about these things and go back and forth a little bit. So today, uh, talking about growing quality hay. And, you know, for me, there's just a lot of things here to talk about. We just started raising alfalfa again on our farm. Uh, so we've had a couple of crops now. Uh, the last two years, and I've learned a lot again just about things that we can do out in the field. Brian and I raised hay every year growing up as kids, and then we went away from livestock on our farm, and we just focused on what we're doing here with Ag PhD, focused on what we're doing on our farm, and now we've got a, a neighbor with a large dairy that needs the hay. So we started growing hay again, and that's been a real fun thing last year. I would say, and Brian might argue with me, but he would be wrong. I would say it was our most profitable crop that we had. And that's awesome. The year before, it was not the most profitable crop we had, but it was a drought year and it was a tough year to get hay growing. This year was a drought year, but the roots were so deep. I, I can only imagine if we went out digging how deep those roots would be. But we had just a fantastic crop. So uh, I like this a lot. And the real key is getting fertility in the soil. And for us, one of the things that we look at is the mobility of nutrients, because it's one thing to say, well, I spent this much on fertilizer, I should have great yields. Or I put this much fertility out there, this many pounds of fertilizer, I should have great yields. I don't care about any of that. I don't care how much you spend. I don't care how many pounds you use, anything like that. I only care about how many nutrients your crop is able to pull in. So you've got to put the nutrients where that root system can encounter them. And with alfalfa, this is the challenge. We want to leave the alfalfa out there for three, four, five, who knows how many years, uh, a long time. You only get one shot to really get those nutrients deep when they're immobile. Like take phosphorus, for example. It doesn't move very much in the soil at all. Unless you've got super sandy soil and a ridiculous amount of rain, it just doesn't move down through soil very much. It's just the chemical um, makeup of phosphate just isn't going to do that in soil. So you've got to put it down deep. It's a challenge if you're in no-till to get phosphorus down deeper in the soil. But when you do, your productivity goes way up. So find a way to inject it. Find a way to do tillage once every four or ten or however many years and get phosphorus built up in your soil so that you can have great crops. On our alfalfa, we saw it last year. We got the, the product put out there. We dug it in. We put it in deep. Should have been out there for the root system, but uh, we just didn't have any moisture. So you do need some level of moisture to help bring those nutrients in. This year, we had a lot of snow going into the season. That must have been enough moisture to get things started. And wow, did we find the phosphorus this year. It was amazing. So anyway, we'll talk more about growing quality and quantity hay on today's Ag PhD radio show. We'll take your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash basic. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about raising high quality and quantity hay today on our show, and many of these tips are going to relate to just about any crop that you would raise. Uh, also, I would say this if you want to have an amazing lawn. <laughs> Many of these same tips would apply to your lawn. And I think this is kind of funny. Many of the farmers that I talk to are, are a bit competitive and they, they like to have a few more bushels of yield than the neighbor. Uh, they like to be a little bit more successful than their brother, uh, those types of things. And one of the areas that I think has been kind of fun is talking to some guys about what they're doing with their lawns. And I thought, man, when do you even have time to do all this stuff? We get some really hardworking farmers out there, no doubt about it. But um, some of the same tips uh, will actually play to raising high-quality lawns as well. All right, let's uh, let's uh, stop with that nonsense. Let's head out to Illinois, get Ron on with us here. Uh, does a lot of work with hay on his farm and, and helps others as well. Ron, how you doing? I'm doing well, and yourself? You know what? We're doing great. And I, I was saying at the start of the show that last year alfalfa ended up being our most profitable crop, even more than our corn and beans, which historically uh, one of those two crops has been the best. But last year alfalfa was awesome. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. And I was all ready to do more acres. And my brother's like, uh, yeah, our chemical program isn't going to allow for that. So he goes, you got to give me more heads up than this. So, so I did. So I said, you're on notice. Uh, I want more acres of hay here going forward. Uh, how about on your farm? Do you, do you change the rotation up a lot? Do you kind of have a set amount of hay that you like to grow? Uh, I like to, but I had some health issues a couple years ago, so we've cut back on the hay acres because I figured if I had a recurrence, uh, almost anybody could come in and do corn and beans for me. But, you know, getting somebody that knows what they're doing to run a big square baler and the hay bind and, and hay rake, is, uh, is a little, is, the list is a lot shorter. So we still do a fair amount of hay, but uh, not as much as we used to. Yeah, there's, uh, tried, tried there's a little bit more work to, to it. 
Well, it's in my earlier life we milked cows too, and I I equivalent uh, equal making hay with almost to the point of dairy cows. Not quite the same, but it's it needs that that scope of attention to uh, to do it right and to make high quality hay. I mean, you know, of course you're milking cows as they say every day of the week and twice on Sunday, and when you're making hay, it, when it's time to make hay, the rest of the world has almost has to stop to some point at some point. Yeah, and we we talk about it on the corn side. There's a lot of folks that talk about phantom yield loss, and man, if you don't harvest it at the right moisture, you're going to have some issues. These types of things, and and hay is even more so when you think about the tonnage that you're going to get, but also that quality, especially if you're trying to get dairy quality hay, that type of thing, or trying to reach a premium on the market, depending on what you're doing. Um, you might be out there in the middle of the night. Uh, you might be out there on a holiday. Uh, the hay really doesn't care what the calendar says, Ron. <laughs> That's right. Uh, a year or two ago, I came home from you know a day's work and and uh, had supper and took a shower and put my work put clean work clothes back on. My wife says, "Well, where are you going?" I said, "Well, the hay got too dry this afternoon. I'm going to go back out and bale it tonight." She says, "What?" I mean, it's just that that finicky crop that you, if you bale it to the right moisture, makes all the difference in the world in the quality and quantity. You know, when when you think about it, um, with hay, we've got a crop that let's just say on average you're going to have for four years in the ground. And I remember when I was growing up, my dad complained about, oh man, the seed is is so expensive. But good quality seed is is really important, especially if you're only going to do it once every four years. You want to have the best that you can possibly have. Uh, but I look at the fertility piece too. That you got to keep up on fertility. If we're taking off, you know, seven ton, ten ton hay. Uh, that's that's amazing, and that's a lot of nutrients that are leaving the field that are going to go uh, into your livestock operation eventually. That's right, and uh, yeah, you got it's it's cheaper to keep up the fertility than it is to catch up the fertility on is in every crop. But like you say, the P and K for for hay is or for alfalfa mainly is is uh, critical to keep it up. Yeah, I, I like having the fertility out there, but of course you do need a little bit of water, and we've been in a drought here for about three years. Uh, and the worst part, Ron, is we tried to get some new hay going in the drought. It actually had a pretty good stand. I was pretty amazed by that. Uh, but we didn't get much for tonnage on the first cutting, I'll tell you that. Right, right. And and I've you know given talks around the country on occasion, and, and I keep telling everybody you know getting it, getting hay rained on is not the worst thing in the world. And they think, well, you know, you really lose all that quality. I said, yeah, you do. There's always a market for rained on hay as well. But at the same time, if you don't get rain, you don't get a crop. And you know, here in Illinois, we generally get four, sometimes five cuttings. And so if we lose a cutting because it got rained on, hopefully uh, we'll make it up on the next you know, one or two. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. And I, I think about this a lot. I, I was just talking to, um, uh, we got a couple of operators on our farm that were running the sprayer this summer. And I said, how many times were you across the hay? And they said, we were absolutely out there between every cutting, whether it was for insects, uh, at least once, uh, but uh, just doing other things, putting on, they put on micronutrients one time we were short. Uh, there, there's a little bit of maintenance that, that goes into it, but I think there's an art to it too. And everybody's got a little different recipe of what they like to do in between cuttings. Do you do a lot of work uh, on each cutting or do you try to do your work at the start or end of the season? We'll, uh, we'll split apply the fertilizer. Uh, usually, usually after first, we'll come back with a, 
a pretty good blast. And then uh, after, well, between fourth and, and later, so it gets a little antifreeze in it, if you will, before it goes into winter and helps it preserve it a little bit better. You know, at this market, you mentioned there there's some extra work, especially if you want to have really good quality. Uh, do you find alfalfa acres vary a lot on a yearly basis in the United States, or is this something that's growing or declining? Uh, what's the trend right now in acres? Up until this year, it seems like hay acres, alfalfa acres were declining because the corn and bean acres were, the corn and bean prices were were better. Uh, you know, like you said, it's it's easier to raise corn and beans, uh, and, the, and the prices were good. I would expect that hay acres could start to increase, come back up a little bit next year, if, unless these corn and bean prices turn around and make a big, big jump over the uh, winter here. Yeah, it kind of depends on where you're at and just what opportunities you have, because I know we've gotten a lot of questions. Well, why are you guys raising hay again? Well, we didn't have a large dairy next to us in the past, and now they would take twice as many acres as, as they've got. So I love having that demand in, in a market. The livestock certainly can can help if you get a lot of livestock in your area. Exactly. Backtracking just a little bit, we started talking about rains, et cetera. I was talking to a neighbor uh, just the other day, and and we we're talking about rain and hay and stuff like that. And he said, you know, when I was just, you know, up until recently, they just started raising some livestock. He said, you know, we'd take every rain we could get for the corn and beans. He said, now that we got, you know, a fair amount of hay for our livestock, it changes your whole perspective on, on when you want that rain to come. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Well, and I look at... Uh well, we were just talking about our alfalfa acres, and we had a little bit of growth in the fall, and we were pretty happy about that because I look at this first snow that we've got now. It really held the snow in those fields. That's going to be awesome for us. It's like getting that first rain. If we've got a foot of snow stuck out in the field or more, uh, that's a good inch of rain if we can keep it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I try not to take a, a last cutting, whether it be fourth or fifth, after about the middle of September, trying to give it a you know at least 30 days or on the average at least 30 days before the first killing frost. So try to get some regrowth to come back and and usually I'll cut that that last cutting maybe even a little bit higher so you'd leave a little more stubble just to catch a, a, a snow that's just blowing across the field instead of you know coming down to where it's going to be really beneficial. But just uh, some of those little Little things like that can really help. It was hard to do this year, Ron. I know Brian and I talked about this. Brian was very set in his ways. Look, we're not taking a cutting after this date. And I'm like, but Brian, look what the value is out there. And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, I want to make sure we have good winter survivability because it could be a tough one. And and wouldn't you know it, we're going to get pretty cold here later this month. Hey, Ron, uh, thank you so much. I got to let you run now, but really appreciate having you on today. And good luck to you this spring. You bet. Thank you very much talking about raising good quality and quantity hay and we'll talk more about that coming up right after this the hard-working independent spirit of rural america can often be isolating it's not often discussed but mental health issues are real now's the time to lead by example talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma.
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today's show, we're focusing on growing high-quality hay. But if you've got an agronomic question, we'd love to help out. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Got one of my favorite guests on right now, Rocky Lemus down at Mississippi State. Rocky, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Darren? Doing well. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. I hope you guys are are staying a little bit warm while we're looking at the weather. You get getting quite a bit of snow, don't you? Yes, we are. We got a foot of snow here in the last few days, and that's the first snow that we've had this year. And I was thinking about this with winter survival. We love it for our hay crop because now it's safely under a blanket of snow and insulated, and we aren't going to be exposed to the 20 below temperatures that are coming up later this week, possibly. That's correct. You know, we uh, we were supposed to be into single digits in Mississippi, uh, by next week, which uh, is very unusual for us, so that usually kind of put a, a little bit of pressure in our hay fields, especially our Bermuda grass fields, quite a bit. 
Yeah. You know, you think about that winter survival, something we talk about in the north a lot. And we just had uh, Ron on who farms over in Illinois. And he was saying, yeah, after September 15th, we don't take any more cuttings because we want some regrowth out there for, for better winter survival. How about in the south? Do you do you worry about that a lot normally? Uh, well, it depends. Sometimes we do not because, you know, Bermuda grass tend to be very receiving. And I think one of the issues that sometimes we see Quite a bit of the losses on stand is usually when uh, we have poor fertility, we get this cold temperatures, the uh, uh, the root system is not well prepared uh, to withstand those temperatures, soil temperatures, and survive very well. So potassium, you know, I always tell producers, it's, it's always a good idea to put a little bit of potassium at the end of the season to just precondition that root system and, and store those nutrients that's going to help that, that plant to come back next year. Yeah, that's the downside of hay. I mean, I love the crop, and I love what we get when we sell the hay, but then I look at how much fertility we just pulled out of the ground, and we got to put it back out there. So it is, it does cost right. a little money on fertility. I would say if you're thinking about, man, I might get into hay, be ready to spend some money on fertility along the way here. There's lots of gross income, but you do need to spend a little bit to, to keep it coming. That's correct, you know, and and pay attention to how much you're removing as well because, you know, I think that's a downfall that producers sometimes don't pay attention of how much nutrient they are removing and, and sometimes those nutrients are either exported to other areas in the farm or they're going to be leaving the farm. And it's very important to, to keep an inventory of how much you, you're really taking off that later on you'll be able to replenish those. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, fertility is is certainly a big piece, and I, I look at that a lot on our farm about, okay, what's our fertility with whatever we're raising, corn, soybeans, hay, whatnot, uh, making sure that we're we're at least holding even, if not getting ahead just a little bit. Uh, the other thing that we had a challenge with this year a little bit on a dry year was insects. Boy, if we had any bugs out there, that, that really created a problem when our crop was already kind of thirsty for some moisture. It does, you know. Um, we were lucky this year, you know. Usually, army worm is probably one of the worst uh, insects that we have, especially in Bermuda grass production. We also had the Bermuda stem maggot, which is a fly that that laid the uh, the eggs on the uh, in the top shoot of the Bermuda grass, and then those eggs hatch in the burrow to the uh, the shoot, and you look like a look like you got a frost on the on the hay field. But with the uh, drought conditions that we have this year in the south, we did not see that uh, insect pressure, which is, uh, I'm glad we didn't see it because I think it, was, it would have been a, still a more harsh condition to 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 get some hay that we really need this time of the year. Well, one thing about the drought that we had, we could get in the field any day we wanted. There was never a rainfall holding uh, us out, never a rainfall to spoil a cutting, anything like that, but it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, when you look at timing and you're raising Bermuda grass for hay, uh, is the, the cutting timing just super fussy with you if you want to get the best quality? It is. You know, you know, our main crops in the south are going to either be Bermuda grass or it's going to be either a cedar Bermuda grass or a hybrid Bermuda grass. Most people that are going to be in hay production probably going to have some type of hybrid Bermuda grass variety out there. Uh, but also we have quite a bit of a hay grass. And, and timing is very important. Uh, you know, what are the factors we need to take into consideration? What are the factors? But yeah, maturity is going to be very important. Uh, I usually tell producers that if you try to really 
maintain a good nutritive value on Bermuda grass, you need to be in that 28, 30-day cutting if possible. 35 is really a stretch depending on weather conditions. And, and sometimes we try to maintain 13, 14% coup protein in that, in that Bermuda grass, which is great. If you're doing a good job with fertility for each cut of hay. Um, with Bermuda, with bahagras, it's a little bit different. Producers sometimes try to to manage bahagras like they manage Bermuda grass, and it's not usually the case that works very well. And the reason for that is because bahagras tend to mature a little bit earlier. They're trying to put that seed head out, and every time that you start putting seed heads, what happens is that plants start to retranslocate. That nitrogen that should have been into a crude protein it's going to be retranslocated into that seed development. So that's why you see that decline in nutritive value, more fiber, which uh, on the long term, when you start feeding that hay, uh, it starts also limiting the intake of hay that the animal can do, depending if it's a horse or it's a cow or a small ruminant. Yeah, that's a great point about where those nutrients are at in the plant and, and harvesting at the right time so you can keep a lot of that in, in the, the feed that the animals are going to be consuming. Um, you know, I think about uh, how different grasses get managed differently, and this is one of the challenges for farmers that have a bunch of different crops out there, that it's hard to be an expert on every single one, and there's some little details along the way that you can forget from year to year, so it's good to get a refresher on those things. Yeah, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, I, I tell producer, you know, when you're looking at nutritive value, especially protein, that's going to be dependent on and a good nitrogen fertility program, you know. Uh, uh, I tell to, tend to tell producers that, you know, based on the research that we've done on Mississippi State, is that usually about 50 units of nitrogen per cut of hay uh, should be sufficient to get that that nutritive value what it need to be you know, also you know balance that with the yield uh, but also I tell them you know if, if you do a salt test uh, I highly recommend that if you're in a hay field production you're in hay production that you should be testing your soil yearly uh, and in a pasture situation we usually do two or three year intervals but in a hay situation where you're removing a lot of nutrients a salt test every year is very important to to make sure that you're balancing uh, especially your potassium levels. Potassium is one of those that is, is removed quite a bit in, in warm season grasses. So if you need to put potassium instead of putting all the potassium at the beginning of the season where you're going to develop some type of luxury consumption, which means that the plant is taking more potassium than they, what they can use, it is more strategic then to split those applications where you have a potassium-nitrogen combination, we see a better efficiency and, and a better production of the uh, our hay systems by utilizing that strategy. I love that you mentioned the soil testing, and, and yes, absolutely on hay. Uh, we love soil testing yearly just to see where you're at, to see what you're removing, and kind of keep track of things. Uh, and I, I know you were talking about that earlier, to pay attention to how many nutrients you're removing out there. But the other thing that you mentioned, Rocky, sometimes gets a little bit controversial. Soil testing in pastures, I have guys say, oh, come on, you guys, you just want us working all the time out there. Why do we need to soil test the pastures too? Because it's important, because the more nutrition we can pump into that grass, the more nutrition we pump into your animals, 
sales, the better rate of gain you have and the more money you make. It's it's a good, good deal. And then, of course, in the cow-calf operations, feeding that cow well, that's, that means lots of good things for those calves too. It does because, you know, one thing that, you know, and this is something that I try to emphasize with producers, you know, when, when you invest in hay production, you should not focus so much on how much tonnage you're going to get. Because uh, one thing that I've seen is that producers sometimes produce a lot of hay. But the quality in that hay sometimes is so low, you're looking at about 7 8%. So that means that I'm going to have to go and do a lot of supplementation with protein tops, uh, some tops that have higher energy in the wintertime. And those and things are not, that you have those things are not those free. Commodities, no. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's much know, cheaper to feed that soil. Yeah, there's there's a lot to that uh, in the whole cycle of things, but we're out of time here, Rocky, so i got to let you run. Really appreciate having you on, though. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah. Her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've been talking about raising high-quality hay. We've had a, a little discussion on this. There's obviously much, much more we can talk about. One other thing that I should mention, too, is the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. And I know Rocky Lemus had mentioned this, and Ron out in Illinois had talked about this too. And I love how Ron put this. He said it's cheaper to keep up on fertility than to try to catch up. And I've got a friend out in Pennsylvania, and he talks about that too. He said, man, if I get behind on fertilizer, it takes me several years to catch up. So I just don't want to get behind. And I think those are those things are great, and they're all lessons learned from experience. My dad always defined experience as past mistakes. <laughs> and uh, yep, I have experience because I have made mistakes and I have learned from them. So now I can give you good advice. Now that didn't always mean Brandon, I wanted to follow it. Uh, but, uh, and Janelle smiling at me through the glass. I don't know if Janelle wanted to follow some of that advice either. We all had to make our own mistakes and get our own experience. But I, I would say just from a a great number of farmers that I've talked to uh, and learned from a lot of guys older than me that that pass this along. You just don't want to go backwards on fertility. It it doesn't end well. And if you keep up on fertility, you can raise some really good quality hay. Uh, Rocky Loomis, when he was talking about this, he said one place that they worry about winter kill, even down in Mississippi, is on poor fertility ground. And he said, especially potassium. He said, there's so much potassium that this crop is taken out of the ground. Uh, hay is just a big user of potassium, which is great. I, I'm glad it is. I'm glad it can convert that into feed for our animals. It's it's amazing. Uh, it's wonderful. But we do have to put the potassium back out there. Um, so don't don't fool yourself and think, oh, no, I'll be fine. Uh, no, you won't. You, you got to keep that up or you're going to start playing catch up, which isn't good. So if you want to have good, high quality, high, uh, high dollar hay crops, you've got to have the fertility to match it. So take a look at the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app. You can see exactly what you need for certain tonnage goals that you're going after. And at least gives you a good guideline. And then the other thing that Rocky Lemus had mentioned is just a soil test each year. And he said, if you're soil testing each year on your hay ground, since it is such a high user of nutrients, you can watch, okay, here's what I, here's what the fertilizer removal app says I'm going to need. Here's what I'm putting out there. And then pull that soil test to see, okay, I put this much out. I raise this kind of crop. Am I staying even? Uh, am I getting ahead or am I falling behind? And then you can adjust each year with whatever you need to do for fertility to keep up. Okay, uh, and with that said, let's dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Our phone lines are open at 
44 ag phd and i can see we still have a couple lines uh, open there uh, or you can always email us radio at agphd.com i got this one in from ks and we were talking about cobalt the other day and ks says hey guys uh, cobalt is a major part of the structure of vitamin B12, so it is really important to have some cobalt out there. And I know we, when we get talking about fertility, we, we talk about nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur uh, most of the time. We also talk about calcium, magnesium, and micronutrients. But then there's the super micronutrients like cobalt uh, that uh, don't even make that list most of the time for, for people to mention or even measure just about every soil test that I've seen doesn't even have cobalt on it. So we've done some specific testing for things like cobalt and, and molybdenum. And yeah, it's, it's interesting when all you need is one part per million on some of these things. Uh, if you don't have that, it isn't super expensive to get it up to a part per million, but uh, you, you think, wow, I can't really make that much difference. Then I say, okay, well, uh, take a look at, uh, the food that you're eating and you put just a little bit of sugar or just a little bit of salt on it and it makes the taste that much better, just wildly different. It's kind of the same thing. Some of these micronutrients, just a little bit can make a big difference for you. So I appreciate that KS. Uh, cobalt is a part of the structure of vitamin B12 and is one that you definitely want to watch on your farm. All right, uh, let's jump to the phone lines here. Got got Vicky with us out in East Tennessee. How's it going, Vicki? It's going well. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you bet. So my my situation is I'm new to farming. I've got 40 acres in hayfield that has been neglected for several years. So it's got lots of sage, lots of ironweed, lots of other things in it. Um, as far as the type of hay that it is, it was predominantly probably just Kentucky 31 that had been planted here. That's a popular thing in this area. So I sort of have a question. My vet recommends that he uses fescue and orchard grass in his fields. Other farmers around here are trying to talk me away from the orchard grass combination. And then the other part is because it definitely needs overseeding, but the other part is how long is it going to take me to turn this into a productive field of hay? Okay, uh, great question. And, you know, I think the same thing here with um, uh, with ground that I've picked up that I want to put any crop out there. How long is it going to take to get this to be one of our better fields? Uh, I had a great example this year. There's a new piece of ground I picked up, and it was the first year farming it, and it was really good operators that, that I got the ground from. And right away, first year, we had a great crop, uh, and I really appreciated all the work those guys had put in it over the years. That made my job so easy, Vicky. All they had, there was one weed that they didn't do a great job the year before, and they and they knew it. They just missed a spray window or whatever, and uh, so I, I was aware of it. I, I did a good job taking care of it, and we had a great crop. Uh, but I've also picked up ground. Uh, there's a field that I called the blank slate, and the reason why, I did a soil test in it, and it was the lowest levels of nutrients I'd ever seen in my life. And I'm like, oh, no, I just bought this ground. It's going to take forever. And it did take a few years to get it going. What I've found is it generally takes three years, and I can get just about every problem fixed. Um that's the worst case scenario. Hopefully we can make it even a little bit better. 
you know, some of this, like you mentioned, the weed control challenges, you want to leave the current uh, Kentucky 31 in there. Is that, that's a fescue? Is that right? Or what, what kind of grass is that? Yeah, it's a fescue. All right. Uh, so, so you were saying uh, uh, another person you talked to had a had a good success with fescue and orchard grass combo, but um, I, I don't know which is the the perfect blend for your area in eastern Tennessee. I, I really don't, uh, so I can't really comment on that part. But if you do get a good stand of grass out there, that's definitely going to help you keep the weeds down. Uh, the the other thing that I'm really concerned about is just finding out what nutrients you need. Uh, so getting a, a good soil sample out there, and I would recommend probably a soil sample every five acres just to see what's in the soil. It doesn't have to cost a whole lot. We generally send ours to Midwest Labs in Omaha, and it's roughly $25 a sample, so it wouldn't be a huge expense to find well, out I've, what's in there for nutrients. I have been, I do have my soil samples. And um, oh, great. I don't have them with me right now because I was driving and pulled off the road when, the, sure. when I heard that you were doing hay. Okay. And um, the only thing I know off the top of my head, my pH is right in the range. And um, the agronomist from the, I was using a lab in Kentucky, Waters sure. Lab there. Sure. Yep. They and, do a good job um, too. So, and he said that, you know, definitely uh, around here, people say toss lime to it to get rid of the sage grass. But he said, no. Seeding would be more important than tossing lime to it if I already have it in, and mine's right at 6.5. Okay. So it's right on target there. But, um, and right now I know I have, I know magnesium is way high and I know other things are low, but without in front of me right now, I don't know for sure what, what my ratios are on the rest of it. Sure. Sure. Well, you so, can send, you can always send us an email with your soil test. We'd be more than happy to take a look at them. It's just okay. radi- radio at agphd.com. And, and yeah, we'd, we'd look at each of those nutrient levels and, and walk you right in through. The other thing that I would offer up, and I, I realize you said, ah, oh, it's 40 acres of hay and I don't know what else you have or if that's the a hundred percent of what your operation is we've got a free soils clinic coming up next week too you can find that details on that at agphd.com just click on the events tab it's free we're going to have a, a live stream option available that you could get too so uh, you may check that out if if you want to learn more about reading a soil test yourself otherwise uh, just send your test in we'll take a look and, and give you our recommendation hey thanks a lot vicky we really appreciate having you on and good luck with that new ground Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> Weed field heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Join us in Houston for the 2024 Commodity Classic, New Frontiers in Agriculture. We'll close out the show on Saturday at the Houston Rodeo, the world's largest rodeo and livestock exhibition. Join us February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I've been talking about hay today, but we're right into the Ag PhD mailbag now, taking your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Got a soil test that came in from Dusty uh, down in North Texas. He said, all right, guys, let's grow some corn, 150 bushels, what we're shooting for on this 160-acre field. Uh, we've got liquid and dry fertilizer available. Uh, we plan to ban some phosphorus six to eight inches deep this month. Uh, just curious what else you would do. Hey, thanks, Dusty. We really appreciate that. And you know what? I really do like that, putting phosphorus down six to eight inches deep. We've had really good luck with that, and I know you can get awfully dry down in North Texas too. And when you get dry... Uh, the top few inches, of course, dry out first, down six to eight inches deep. You keep moisture a lot longer, and that's where a majority of your roots are going to be for that corn. So I love it. If you can plant the corn right through that same area and have fertility available for the root system where it can just cross right through it, that's perfect. I, I love it. Okay, so looking at soil tests, um, the first thing I like to look at is soil pH, and I see a pH in the mid-8s, and that, that is a little bit of a challenge and a little bit limiting for you, and uh, many times folks will say, well, that's just how it is in our area. Well, it is now, uh, but it could change potentially, so I want to look at what are some of the things we can do. I look at the cation exchange capacity, it's generally around 30, and organic matter generally around 2, so we've got a, a fairly heavy soil there. Uh, and then I look over in the base saturation, and something really catches my eye quick. 
Uh, so base saturation, for anybody listening here uh, that isn't familiar with it, it, it shows the percentages of potassium, magnesium, calcium, hydrogen, and sodium in the soil. And, and it adds up to 100%. And in this case, the calcium is about 95%. So that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for all those other important nutrients. And we need a lot of magnesium and we need a lot of potassium to raise a good crop. So uh, obviously don't need a lot of sodium and we don't need any hydrogen at all uh, from the soil. So that calcium is, is uh, kind of alarming. That's really, really high. We'd love that to be in the 65 to 75% range, but it's 95. Then here's one thing to look at on your test, Dusty. Look at the excess lime rate. So it's the bottom bar on your soil test. And Midwest Labs rates it either low, medium, or high. Other labs will, will look at this slightly different and give you a little different rating. Uh, but in, on your test, almost every one of them is in the high category. So you've got a lot of little white particles of lime in that soil just floating around. And that can throw off some of these tests. So what it will do, it will artificially read that calcium part per million too high. And that that's going to change up a lot of things. So your parts per million on potassium and magnesium and phosphorus, those things aren't going to change. But your parts per million on calcium would change uh, if they got that free lime out of the sample. So you could actually take a look at what's in there and what's exchangeable. Um, the, the only lab that I've found that does a nice job testing for this uh, or specifically is Kinsey Ag. Uh, their labs, they test do a test called the cation displacement test that would give you a more accurate reading on your calcium, and that will change some of the other things uh, that, that we would do here. If I had a little better idea, if you were at 80% or uh, if you were at 3,000 parts per million, for example, instead of 6,000 parts per million. But in the meantime, I'll just do the best with what I've got here. But but if you could, send a test in. Send one of these same tests or, or pull from the same area and send it into Kinsey Lab uh, and just see. Uh, so go to KinseyAg.com. You can find out more about that. And just ask for a cation displacement test. Uh, and and you'll see you know how that changes up, what the recommendations might be. Okay, so with the high pH... Um, I'm not going to change that 8.4 overnight on a, on a quarter section unless I spent a gazillion dollars on elemental sulfur and drainage tile. But uh, let's just look at some of the other things like phosphorus. If you want to raise 150 bushel corn, you need 77 pounds of phosphate to, to uptake. Well, we've got uh, in the 10 to, what's the high, 19, 10 to 19 parts per million on a Malik 3 test. So we're pretty low on phosphorus. Um, I would I would say you're going to have to add all of that uh, to to do it. So when you're out there doing your band, that's great. Your efficiency out of the band is really good. Uh, don't skimp on the rate. I'd get after it on the phosphorus. You need 77 pounds of phosphate to to get the job done. And I if it was me, I'd probably apply that much. Uh, but if you want to do a little less, you can sure try it. Uh, with potassium, you need 202 pounds of K2O potassium. And you say, well, okay, well, I've got 200 parts per million. That's not bad. Uh, I, w I would like to know a little better about the calcium and where you're at. But um, I, I just look at that potassium as I'm going to have to add what, what crop removal is at least. So on 150 bushel corn, I remember, or I mentioned the total uptake is 
202 pounds, but the actual removal is only 37 and a half pounds. So if you were able to put that right in the band as well, uh, that would not be a bad deal. And in a high pH soil, that'll improve your, your chances of, of taking in that potassium. One thing that was kind of interesting, though, is your magnesium is actually lower than your calcium. Or, I'm sorry, your magnesium is actually lower in parts per million than your potassium. So uh, I, I think you're going to have to add some magnesium, too in order to get enough magnesium in your ground. So I'm guessing K-Mag might be a, a common product that gets used in your area. Uh, obviously, there's lots of different magnesium sources too. So this might be a little different than most of the recommendations we make where we would have to add some magnesium in at this time. Uh, your sulfur is super, super low. So for me, I'd be adding sulfur in. Uh, you need 23 pounds for 150 bushel corn. So I would add that or more. Um, if it was me, I would be looking at, is it possible to get that soil pH down? And I would probably be playing with some elemental sulfur out there. In addition to any sulfate forms of sulfur that you put on, uh, I would perhaps use ammonium sulfate as part of your nitrogen supply. That way you could get uh, a bunch of sulfur out there at a lower price, at least in our area, but you could look into ammonium sulfate and maybe you put a couple hundred pounds of that out or more as, as your nitrogen and your sulfur supply. Um, and then on micronutrients, our zinc here is really low. It's less than a part per million on most of the tests. Uh, so I, I definitely would like that to be higher. Normally we're looking for a 10 to 1 ratio with of phosphorus to zinc, but we'd love that zinc to be at least a couple parts per million. So for, for me in that heavy soil that you've got, I, I would be getting some more zinc out there. I'd probably be applying some dry zinc sulfate, trying to build those levels up. Um, that, that would be my recommendation to try to get those up at least to 2 parts per million if you could, uh, maybe even a little bit more. Your manganese levels are higher than your iron levels. I'm not super worried about that on that manganese, or I'm sorry, on that malic test, but um, I think you got bigger fish to fry than that right now. Copper doesn't look terrible, and boron, um, as long as you're at least at a part per million, I think you're okay. We've had really good luck in our heavy soils, though, building that up a little bit more, especially where we've got high calcium, it's safe to do so. So there's quite a few things here that I would address, but in the meantime, you've got to make money and try and raise that 150 bushel corn you're going for. So uh, you, you probably know what you're doing on your nitrogen wrecks, and, and you probably got that down pretty well. For me, I would be putting on quite a bit of phosphorus as you're going out there on that band. I love the banding idea. I love doing it deep. If you could do that also with the potassium, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, but if not, at least put on uh, what crop removal rates are. Just check out the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app to get all those different rates. And then, of course, don't forget to add the sulfur and the zinc. You're certainly going to need them this year. All right, thanks for the test. Really appreciate that, Dusty, and good luck to you. Uh, had a, another email that came in that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, this one is from uh, Brad. He said, I was reading up on generic Treflan, and the company was saying their trifluralin could be coated onto dry fertilizer and spread and then worked into the soil. Have you ever seen farmers use it this way? Does it work as effectively? Uh, does the rate get evenly spread across the field, or is it a little more risky to do it that way? Yeah, it's a little more risky, Brad. We we, we don't like that dry impregnating of herbicides. Uh, the, the spread is not perfect, and it's certainly not nearly as good a spread as you can get running it through a sprayer. So I, I like doing your herbicides that way, doing your fertilizer different. If you're using dry, that's fine, but... Um, but 
spray the trifluralin out there, you're going to have better performance in the field. Hey, thanks. Really appreciate that, though. And, and it is a question that we get asked from time to time because it's tempting to say, man, I could do it this way and do two things at once. But sometimes uh, doing two different passes is worth the extra time. And I think it is when it comes to herbicides. Well, thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.